Hello and welcome to On the Other Hand Sir, a podcast for history students. Okay, on with today's podcast. Hello, my name is Mr Guy and I'm here with three amazing IB students who are going to be tackling a verbal essay about comparing and contrasting the rise to power of different authoritarian leaders. So um, without further ado, can I ask them just to say hello, starting to my left? Hi, my name is Warren and I'll be talking about German Mao. Hi, my name's Kieran, I'll be talking about Hitler. Hi, I'm Marcus and I'm talking about Stalin. Excellent. Okay, so we're looking at the concept of authoritarianism. Um, you might have heard it, um, Kira, as totalitarianism. Um, what is, Kira, what is an authoritarian state? How is it different to any other kind of state? Authoritarian states is where you have like one leader who rules, like, who kind of like... Yeah, rules with their authority. Who rules the masses. And how do they rule the masses? I'm just going to stick with Kira to start off. How, how do they... Hitler or Stalin, what kind of policies do they have to rule people? Um, like, very unfair policies where it's more like uh, everything goes to the state, like, within communism, and then with Hitler it was like, everyone had to obey his policies. And okay, so a couple of key words. So, obedience to the state, you mentioned obey is important, and when you said everybody, the word that bounced off in my head was total and totalitarianism so we're going to look at propaganda we're going to look at economics we're going to look at um just a variety of different ways you can totally control the state so uh let's get a bit of background information and so marcus who are you looking at again you're researching stalin's russia from about i guess like 1920 lenin dies in 1924 stalin dies in 53 so we're looking at that period what's can you tell us marcus what is russia like before he comes to power around 1928-ish. Well, before, it was post-World War One, and there was the Civil War, which led to Russia turning communism. Uh, so communism is the idea where everyone should be equal, and everything they do is for the betterment of their country and to spread communism. And then so before Stalin rose to power, uh, Lenin was in power, and he brought about different policies, for example, the NEP, which was the New Economic Policy, which, although was to improve the economy, it led to a class system which was against the communist ideology. Okay, so uh, an awful lot happening. So we've got Lenin, who's installed himself in October or November, depending on the calendar we use, 1917. Um, it's the world's first, I think we need to make a lot of that, it's the world's first communist revolution. China's yet to happen till 49 and I know Warren will talk about that in a short while. Um, we have Vietnam, we're going to have Cuba and so on, but this is the world's first communist revolution, so it's really important. Um, and World War I is going to be significant. So again, lots of themes we'll pull out of that one um, soon. Kira, you're looking at Hitler's Germany. What's Hitler's Germany like before? Well, when does Hitler come to power and what Hitler. period are you investigating before? How long before? Hitler comes to power in like 1932, 31, 33. <laughs>
1928, unemployment stood at 1.4 billion, and then in 1932, unemployment was approaching 6 billion. But uh, in 1928, that season, we had 12 seats in the Reichstag, whereas uh, the Wall Street crash actually helped their uh, campaign because of international depression. Um, and the Nazis now had 200 seats in the Reichstag because they created a simple 25-point program, which was um, promised recovery through public works, self-sufficiency, and a war economy. And yeah, it kind of like helped their campaign. They gave jobs to unemployed to work in SA ranks and in SS ranks and everything. Okay, yeah. excellent. So, so again, like Marcus was saying, Stalin's rule of power is going to be very different, maybe in some respects, to Tsardom and Leninism. Same with Hitler. We, it's going to be rather different to life in the liberal Weimar uh, regime. Um, and also, Kira, I like that you've mentioned some economic stuff in there, some role of the individual in there, uh, importance of war in there. So again, I think there's lots of things we can talk about with Marcus soon when we get going. Uh, but thirdly, Warren, you're going to investigate and talk about... The, yeah, and what was the background to Mao coming to power? So it would be come off a time where they had a lot of emperors and a and kind of a monarchy in China. So they're moving into a time where there was a party that was ruling. So they have they had the GMD at the time, the Kuomintang that was uh, that was backed by the USSR, which thought that the GMD would have a greater influence and they could pass on kind of more of their communist ideologies. So they looked over the CCP because at the time the CCP was still smaller and less influential. So for a while they were, they were being, the China was being ruled by the GMD and the CCP was now trying to make their way into the, into the frame and leave the country. So there was a lot of conflict between Mao's uh, ideologies and Mao's uh, thought processes between him and Chiang Kai-shek. And at the time they were also being sought after by Japan for like territorial rules. So Japan was trying to come in through Shanghai, through the coastal areas to enter China, to enter mainland China. So there was a lot of fighting as well with Japan, as well as fighting in between the CCP and the GMB. Okay, so it seems to me then for the three areas you've chosen, the one real commonality is that there's real tumult, there's real change. Uh, these are not stable periods of each nation's history. So when we're looking at the rise to power of authoritarian states, there's a question of extreme times calling for extreme measures. So let's start with one that I think was common to you all then. Marcus, you spoke about the impact of war. So could you tell me for Stalin's Russia, what kind of war or wars had been raging before he came to power and what was the impact of them on his rise? So in particular, First World War, Russian Civil War, how did they affect Russia? Well, the First World War, they realized they weren't as powerful as they could have been seen before when they were badly beaten and had to leave the war early. And then they ended up having a civil war, which led to them turning communist, and which also this weakened their economy and did cause famine. But later on, we see even with Stalin's improvements, there is still famine. Yeah, there's a really famous Marxist historian called, who died a few years ago called Eric Hobsbawm, and he describes, um, just to get a bit historical from there, he describes war as being the mother um, of revolution. 
and certainly for Russia, we've looked, you know, in World War One, we've got the Battle of Tannenberg, Masuria Lakes, the failed Brusilov offensive is an absolute disaster for Russia. Um, the terms of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, um, Russia has to give up, I think it's something like a third of, of its population, which for a countryside of Russia is absurd. Trotsky famously walks out of the proceedings, he, and, and they're forced to, to sign this very unjust peace. So war is going to have a huge effect on Russia, and the civil war um, as well rages for many years. Um, so war, definitely mother of revolution uh, for Russia. Kira, Treaty of Versailles in Germany, how important was war in Hitler's rise to power? because it's absolutely teeming with evidence um, and I think it links nicely with what you're saying about propaganda later. Can I throw an historiographical question at you, Kira, which is uh, in our wonderful school library there's a book um, we've recently purchased by a German historian called Jürgen Tamke and the title of the book is A Perfidious Distortion of History and in that book he basically argues Treaty of Versailles wasn't that bad Germany didn't have any right to complain. Linking to what Marcus just said about Brest-Litovsk, he said it wasn't nearly as bad as Brest-Litovsk. Has he got a point, or was Versailles as bad as, as we all say? I personally believe that Versailles was as bad as we all say, because not only did Germany get restricted to such little like war efforts, with like, over 100,000 men in the army, the navy was so heavily restricted, they couldn't, like, protect themselves and loads of the, like there was a demilitarization and a 15 year occupation of the Rhineland like all of their areas with big um, like industrial products and everything was just taken away from them and not only that they had 6.6 .6 billion pounds of reparations to pay and they had to accept that they were the only reason why the world war one was caused that they caused the whole uh, four year travesty where there was loads of just pain for everyone and that's a big like weight on their shoulders which was very unjust because there were other reasons like 
the Allies were also causing lots of havoc and also caused loads of death as well as just Germany and Austria and the other, the Axis as well. Great. So, so as Keynes famously said, it was a Carthaginian peace um, and therefore war was really important and Hitler was certainly going to manipulate to help him come to power. Uh, brilliant answer. Which means, let's go to our final one. So Warren, um, Mao, how important was Ma war to Mao's rise to power? So during the time, uh, there was that conflict with GMD, there was a conflict with uh, Japan. And seemingly, like according to the public, it looked as if the GMD weren't fighting as effectively as they could have against Japan in their kind of pitch battles, whereas Mao's CCP were able to do their guerrilla tactics. Also, Mao allowed, cleverly allowed, uh, the GMD to take a lot of the responsibility for fighting, which meant that as, as they suffered losses, it would look as if the, it was the GMD that was weaker, the weaker political parties. So, it was, more, uh, it was more effective for Mao to rise to power and the CCP. And the Long March also kind of showed how, at the time they were forced into the Long March by the GMD and the tensions between the, the two ideologies and Chiang Kai-shek. So coming out of the Long March successful, in quotes, uh, as based by their propaganda, made them look better and more uh, perseverant than the, than the GMD. So war did kind of, help Mao to come off looking like their ideology was what worked and what, uh, what helped them to survive over time, whereas other parties or the GMD was kind of ruling more. So it did work out better for Mao. Okay. And I think in terms of time zones, for China, uh, World War II ends in 45, Mao comes to power just four years later after that war. In Russia, again, Stalin comes to power approximately uh, four years after the Civil War. Uh, whereas in Germany, I guess we're talking about 15 years, so maybe more of a delay, but certainly war is going to be a really big factor. Um, do any of you feel that if war did not take place, your dictator would not have risen to power? Was it that significant a factor for you? Warren, would Mao still have come to power without the Chinese Civil War? Without World War Two? do you think he'd still come to power? Uh, in my opinion, not so. I think the, the tumultuous effect of the war on people, such as the, the hunger, the starvation, the, the anger of the government that was, that was ruling them at the time, was what, gave, uh, what paved the way for a leader to come in, a, a leader such as Mao, an authoritarian leader, to rule the masses because they, he could kind of take advantage of the despair that was happening in the country. And I think I could say the same for for Hitler and, uh, and Stalin as well, that kind of effect where people are going through this, not exactly depression, but more like going through this travesty of war, this, it gives a perfect opportunity for a leader to come in and, and really hone in their uh, ideologies into the people's minds. Okay, Let, let's jump forward to another fact then. So war is a commonality, definitely. Um, can we look at the importance of the individual, about these people's personal backgrounds, personal qualities, um, and again, Kira, you've given such good answers on Hitler so far. Can I start with you on that one? Hitler as an individual, why did he have such mass appeal? Why was he so popular? Why were people prepared to follow him into the like, real barbarity of the Holocaust and World War II? They wouldn't follow everybody. Why did they follow him? What was his personal appeal? Um, he was really like outspoken on everything, which was like 
pretty uh, big for the people and not only that he was offering like loads of jobs when unemployment was at a high because of um, of the Wall Street crash. So people liked that he was helping others out in like a time of loads of unrest and um, so he had a clear program. Yeah. He knew what he wanted and he outlined that very clearly. Yeah, and he was also putting lots of blame on uh, Jews so that for people it's kind of like a use of a scapegoat, like they had people to blame and that, that was why they were also getting blamed for the war. So those people were taking out all this, like, their anger on Jewish people, which was what Hitler wanted as well. Okay. So 21-point program, mind camp. Hitler made it very clear through his speeches and... Um, Traveling across Germany, that he, he, that he had a very clear program that he wanted to follow. Was that the same for Stalin? Was that the same for Mao? Did they have a clear program that people understood? <clears throat> Not as much. Well, he he did have some ideas he wanted to uh, spread to others, but he didn't have like clear program, twenty one point program to help show his ideas and what he wanted, his aims. Okay, so how did, Mark, just to say, how did Stalin's ideas differ from other rivals for power like Trotsky? We had the idea of socialism in one country, which was to improve communism in Russia rather than spreading it to other nations, just because he had, he thought that Russia, they had just come out of war they had a civil war, and they just changed their Lenin's death, so they're clearly not read, ready to advance further to spread communism. Okay, and Warren, Chairman Mao, did he have a clear ideology? Did he have a clear platform that he wanted to put across? And, and if so, how did he present that to the people of China in an age before Wi-Fi and WeChat and however else we get messages across today? Uh, something like the, the Long March was crucial as a propaganda and a message for the population like in China, showing that the, the new CCP kind of government was willing to risk themselves and, like, and everything, go through a whole long march uh, across the country to continue to express their ideology. So they were showing kind of their perseverance and willingness to, uh, to serve, to serve the people. They also would, uh, would treat locals uh, respectfully. They would, um, they would create themselves kind of at respect with the locals and the peasants. And uh, hit, uh, Mao himself could relate to the public. He used to get out there and, uh, and show them that he was kind of there to support them. So this would help him create what was called uh, his cult of personality. So he had a lot of support from the peasants or the villagers at the time because they felt like they could relate to Okay, so, so just bringing it back a little, because you, you mentioned interesting stuff about propaganda, which we will come to, but just in terms of having a clear programme, which is what Kira said Hitler had, and that was part of his personal appeal, are there any other aspects of their personal appeal, Marcus, that Stalin had? What was his, what was his background, his upbringing like? What kind of a... How did he present himself well, he was well as a politician? Liked. He was well-liked, and people respected him. Why was he well-liked? You're right, but why was he well-liked? Because he was seen as one of them, he was he had very similar attributes to other people, like modern, not modern, but like ordinary people, yeah. like basic peasants. He would be 
he would speak similarly and people could relate to him. Yes, he was a tough Georgian. He spoke with this kind of guttural peasant accent, uh, whereas Trotsky was this kind of aristocratic kind of uh, posh guy. Um, so he had personal appeal in that sense. Is that true of Mao? Is that true of Hitler? Did they relate to the people in that sense? I'd argue that was kind of similar to Mao as well. His upbringing wasn't one of those uh, born into kind of wealth type of leaders. So I think he had a personal appeal because of that. He could relate to the peasants. Absolutely. There, there was a famous line where an American journalist walked into um, to Mao and he was sitting there, he had a cigarette and he had no shirt on um, and he, he said, your dogma is as much used to me as dog expletive. But that's the kind of person Mao was. He was, he was a commoner and he was prepared to use kind of trashy language. So they both held that appeal. Did Hitler hold that appeal? Was he like a normal man of the people? So you're right. So maybe different in terms of his accent and so on, but possibly some of his beliefs, the need to swallow posture, the need to reject tree of a side, were common to people. So again, some more commonalities in, in individuals. Um, Marcus, before we started recording, we looked at a couple of pictures of Hitler and Stalin at school. Um, can you tell me a bit more about Stalin's personal background, his parents, his upbringing, his what kind of childhood he might have had is there any similarities we could draw there in school photos he was shown in the middle of his class pictures he was see he seemed very egoistic wanting to be the center of attention and also it kind of shows how he he's in the middle he's not very definite on left or right which kind of represents his ideology and also his he He's the son of a shoemaker, son of a cobbler, um, and he witnesses lots of violence at an early age. Do you think that has any impact on Stalin? Well, witnessing violence at an early age, obviously very traumatic, and it would affect his decisions later on in life. And he may act upon this violence in the future, in his decision-making. Okay, so there's a normalisation of violence in his childhood. Um, again... Is that true of Mao? Is that true of Hitler? I think Mao's uh, upbringing was more kind of, to an extent, peaceful. Like he was a, he was a teacher. He was a like a respected scholar, and I think his his background was more quiet and peaceful. And you could kind of relate that to his demeanor, like his public demeanor and his uh, his the way he would carry himself around. He wasn't like a enigmatic or violent leader. Okay, certainly his his oratory skills of he's seen as a bit quieter than maybe a, a Hitler or, or someone similar. But a uh, second point then in terms of commonalities, we were saying that the importance of the individual and their personal appeal is something that's going to help them all rise to power. Um, Warren, you touched on propaganda a bit earlier when you were talking about the Long March. Can you tell me a bit more about how Mao used propaganda and what you understand propaganda to be? Okay, so uh, what I would understand propaganda to be is... Uh 
purposely like publicized information by the government that was also in a way tempted to present the to present the situation in a certain light. So in this case, we would always seem to present communism or China as a in, in positive light and look down upon uh, capitalism or other countries. So uh, Mao would use that to ensure that mora uh, morale in uh, in the country and uh, respect from uh, people was kept at a steady rate. Like they would always respect the ideology and respect the country and respect the nation, respect him because they, they that's what they were kind of taught to do. Yeah, and and you have so so during the Great Retreat and the Long March, Mao's soldiers in particular are actually very well behaved when they go around the countryside talking to peasants. Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists are the opposite and there's theft and there's crime and there's um, atrocities against villagers and so on. So propaganda is going to be crucial for Mao. Um, is it for Hitler before he comes to power? How does, how does Hitler use propaganda, Kira? Um, uh, radios was like a huge form of propaganda for the Nazi party and for Hitler to the point that every household, well, 70% of households had one in 1939. They also had their own newspaper called the, my German looks so good, but the Volkische Bierbachstelle. Perfect. Which had a circulation of 160,000 in 1932, and it was funded largely by the Entrich Uh Their methods were also modern and effective, and the messages were just super simple that people didn't have to worry about details and stuff, but they were still kept in the loop of what was happening and uh, what they wanted like, to happen. Um, they also uh, had the director, Lenny Breifenstahl, produce a propaganda film called The Triumph of the Will, which was super successful and a huge hit, and it like, portrayed the Nazi party as super like, powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got simple slogans here. I'm Volk, I'm Reich, I'm Führer. Um, Hitler's the master of propaganda. The Schwarzstika has got its appeal with the red, white, and the black to nationalism, Aryanism, and socialism. Um, and obviously, we're going to have rallies and so on. So, propaganda and brainwashing is going to be crucial uh, for Germany. Uh, how about in Russia, Marcus? Does, is propaganda used as effectively as it is in China or in Germany? Well, there's different events like the May Day parades which happens on the 1st of May every year, and it showed everyone united together for communism, and it also showed Stalin as very powerful. Yeah. Who, who used propaganda best, in your opinion? Stalin, Hitler, Mao? I could argue it could be Mao, because uh, uh, regarding perhaps the Long March at the time, the CCP was already reduced to about 5% of the, the people that had originally embarked on the Long March, yet the kind of the publicity and the effectiveness of the propaganda that uh, Stalin put out after that event was enough to bring them back into the light and kind of show that their ideology was more superior to Chiang Kai-shek. So you would argue that it was quite effective. Also, over time, the Chinese uh, population has managed to keep the respect for communism over, uh, and it hasn't died out, unlike in Russia where it dies out back in way in uh, 1989. It's still largely pre uh, present in China today. So you would say that the effectiveness of their propaganda has really been strong. Yeah, uh, and it's a very good point you make as well that you know, Hitler's Germany is no more 
communist Russia is no more, but we do still have communist China. So, um, so some really good points for him. Uh, in terms of economics, I know this will link to war and so on, but Kira, again, I'm going to come back to Hitler's Germany. How important was, was hard, cold cash in Hitler coming to power with the Wall Street crash and hyperinflation of 23 and so on? How important was economics in explaining why people voted for Hitler? huge popular appeal. Was that true in the other two authoritarian states we're looking at? If we've got six million Germans voting for Hitler because they were unemployed, is that the case in in your communist countries, China and Russia? I would say it's less of the case in uh, in China because also at the time there was an, a multitude of parties that were competing for, for power, so... It was more like a larger uh, rift between uh, Chiang Kai-shek and Mao, but then also the the mistakes that Chiang Kai-shek had made was more of the reason why Mao got to capitalize on uh, on on his mistakes in gaining power. It was less about the econo- economy, in my opinion. And Russia, Marcus? Well, the economy was weak before, uh, after the war, and after the civil war, and during. Lenin's rise to power, he also did have some policies to improve the economy, but even with the issues with the economy, uh, Stalin was still able to rise to power even if there was no issues with the economy because of his role, his roles as general secretary and his political skill. 